about to get to a new episode of Barely Living the Dream. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode of Barely Living the Dream is brought to you by Cypher, Houston's finest escape room. Cypher is a real-life escape room game. For those of you that don't know, escape games are the newest craze sweeping the nation. A fun, team-building, brain-busting experience. After entering a room with your team of up to 12 people, usually composed of friends, family, and sometimes strangers, the door is locked behind you, and 60 minutes are put on the clock. You must work together to find clues and solve puzzles that lead you to your escape. It's part scavenger hunt, part puzzle game. Don't worry if you don't make it out. Only about 20% of groups are able to meet the challenge and escape the room. Cypher's a great choice for gamers and enthusiasts, friends and family, corporate outings, or birthday parties and events. Cypher offers two unique escape room experiences. You can try to escape from a serial killer's clutches in Captive or collaborate with a team of co-conspirators on the perfect museum burglary in The Heist. For more information, check out the website at breakthecipher.com. That's B-R-E-A-K-T-H-E-C-I-P-H-E-R.com. Or shoot them an email at info at breakthecipher.com. Or call at 713-588-0306 and tell them Melhouse sent you. Now you have to make sure you escape so you don't make me look bad. To another edition of Barely Living the Dream. I am Mel House, and I will be your sole host on this episode. And I'm also playing the theme song live here, um, just because. Uh, well, I thought it'd be fun and funny. Uh, I'm trying to edit this one as little as possible, also, so I can get it up quickly because it's been a while since we've had a new episode. And uh, I had the guitar real nearby because. I'm actually um, doing some songwriting for another Upstart project, I guess. I mean, uh, I can't really say much about that, but yeah, I'm writing some songs for, a, let's call it a, a musical interlude uh, for something that uh, we're working on. That, uh, maybe I'll talk about it later in the in the show. Um, but yeah, I had I had the guitar sitting here nearby. I was like, well, shit, why not? I had all the recording equipment set up to like make notes, and then I realized, oh shit, I need to do a new episode. Um, so here we are, and um, so that's probably. Um, so anyway, let me put the guitar down, and I don't know. It would be nice if I could hold it and sort of like do a storyteller kind of thing and accompany myself while I talk about everything oh yeah everybody lean in close oh chord change oh, it's gonna get dark but uh, unfortunately I don't think I'm focused enough or good enough to be able to pull that off convincingly so I'll set the guitar to the side 
until we get to the end of the show. And by then, who knows? I may just go ahead and say, fuck it, and edit in <laughs> the pre-existing theme. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just me today. Um, Chris is actually working on out working on a film. Um, Brittany is traveling. I think, I don't know if it's for film stuff or just for vacation stuff, but uh, I'm actually getting ready to travel to... Um, Los Angeles again uh, in the middle of the week to um, start the pickups on the last movie I worked on. So we do that uh, this week, end of week slash weekend. And then I actually just got hired on to a pretty big music video um, out of nowhere. And it's a band comprised of people that whose band, whose other bands I love. It's a pretty huge super group. I guess I should probably not say who it is yet, but um, it, I'm sure it'll come out soon enough because I'm going to definitely try to get some pictures. But um, so anyway, I booked that gig and that, uh, that takes me into the following week. So I'll be on a little bit longer. So I don't know exactly when I would be able to get another episode up. However, while uh, I'm out traveling, I've already got interviews scheduled with a, a few folks. And um, these are people that either I didn't have time to get last time when I was there uh, just because of the shoots or um, people I was sort of waiting to approach or whatever. But now uh, I've got a few lined up and I, I think we're going to have some really awesome episodes around the corner um, and get a lot of different insights from a lot of different, you know, well-respected people that are also too certain degrees are quote unquote barely living the dream you know what i mean like none of these people are i mean they're they're working and they're pro a couple of them may even be comfortable but they're not by any means it's still what's the next job going to be you know for for most of them i think and i'd like them to speak to those experiences so there's kind of a advanced teaser of what's to come um in addition you heard uh, at the beginning of this episode uh, we're starting to have people um, quote unquote sponsor the show which is cool uh, this sponsor in particular is kind of special and I'll get to that later um, however we have a few more lined up and also uh, it may not be this episode but probably the next episode or if, if nothing else the one after that we're going to start a new uh, we're going to be on a new podcast network um, and it just the only reason if this one's not the inaugural episode for that it's just because I couldn't get my shit together in time before I left um, to get everything figured out, but they're very excited about hosting the podcast from here on out. They're, they're fans, which is, I guess, the most important thing. They're into what we're doing. So look for that as well, and um, make sure that you, you follow along. I think it will still be relatively easy to find via the usual avenues. Uh, we're just going to be aligned with some other people and maybe running some promos for some of the other, from some of our other sister podcasts on that channel. So uh, heads up for that as well. So this podcast uh, is mainly going to be, I mean, I, I'm going to, I think, for the most part, pull the curtain back all the way because I've, I've uh, in recent, you know, I guess weeks or whatever, uh, people, a lot of people have sort of approached me, letting me know um, that they've been listening, that they really appreciate the candor um, with which I speak to certain things on the podcast and... Uh, all the information and all the, I guess, quote unquote, reality of it. And so I figured, you know, there's probably, there have been some things that I've held back either on purpose or not because people get stuff twisted. Um, but 
I think now I think it's really important to put the stuff out there um, just for full disclosure reasons, just so everybody kind of gets an idea of it. And I guess what made me okay with doing that is, number one, I don't give a fuck about what most people think at this point. Like, in the past, when I was really more concerned with things that were going on in the local film scene or regional or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, if somebody somebody could take a little piece of information, like when I worked at the pizza place or whatever, and and twist it up to mean that I'm not a real quote unquote filmmaker because I had a job and not just a job, but a menial job. You know what I mean? It, it, they even did that when I had like quote unquote real jobs where I was even doing film stuff. Um, but it's like, you know, those jobs that people look down on uh, kind of make like they really twist the perception, if you know what I mean. But, you know, we had just had a kid. I was doing what I had to do. And I've talked about that in other podcasts and I've got a whole movie kind of written around it. Um, which may or may not be what the musical piece is from, but I digress. Uh, so, but you know what I what I came to realize is uh, several things have happened in the last couple years. I've divested myself of a lot of those quote unquote friends that really were just haters. Basically, I divested myself from the toxic uh, sort of film scene that's going on around here. At the same time, I started working more. And when I say around here, I mean in Houston. I'm home right now. Um, and as that happens, simultaneously, I started to get more work out in other places. Where, when I traveled to those places, of course, the, the money was better. The work was more professional. Uh, everything was stepped up as you would expect it to be. However, and you probably get this if you've listened to some of the other podcasts, Though the problems with people sort of barely living the dream, quote unquote, still existed. Almost everybody I work with on these sets are professional filmmakers or professional actors, professional crew, but they either have another regular gig, um, be it in the industry or not, or it's like they're hustling so hard to find that, find the next gig. It, I mean, you can just tell it's 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 super stressful and stressing them out. And they're, I mean, I'm part of the same you know sort of gig boards that a lot of these people are part of. And I just see how much you have to throw yourself out there to make sure you snag the next thing because every each time you work on a picture, it's like a new job all over again. So I mean, if you're not working on something that's huge, and even some people that work on huge things, I mean, depending on what the department is you still may be living paycheck to paycheck. But what I'm saying is you're still worried about how to pay the bills the next month or whatever, like you're thinking ahead. So that in and of itself, in and of itself is a huge drain on your time and resources. So um, to me, it's almost, it, it's almost uh, equal to just having a part-time job that sort of pads, you know, sort of lays down the foundation, I guess, or fills the gaps um, between one thing or another. And honestly, that that's what I've done. Well, when I'm home, I'm actually, it feels like I'm home a lot less <laughs> um, these days, but uh, excuse me, just had lunch and it was delicious. Uh, it feels like I'm home a lot less these days, but it's actually worked out to uh, you know, when I'm home, I actually have a couple of things that I have been doing that 
again, like fill those gaps uh, in between when I have to travel to work on bigger things. And I kind of just want to break all that down for you and let you know what what I've been doing and how I sort of pieced together the barely living the dream part while still very fully doing the film thing full time. Um, and I was, try, I was trying to figure out how best to sort of dive in and approach it because there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to unpack, obviously. Um, and I don't know how granular I can really get with some of the info, uh, just because I don't you know protect people's privacy as far as how much I got paid on certain things. But I also want to give you a realistic um, view of you know what my income has been and how I've been making it happen. So um, you know we'll we'll kind of speak to that. And I guess one of the main things I should put out there, and I mentioned this already, like a, a main reason that I because someone might ask, well, why don't you just try to work on movies locally as well as you know in Hollywood or in Atlanta or New York or whatever, um, North Carolina. The thing is, like my last, well, a bunch of experience, and it's not just my last couple. And you've again, if you've listened to the podcast, you've heard this. They've been jokes. I mean, it's just, it's for what it's either criminal or you're criminally underpaid, or people are stealing money, or they don't know what they're doing, and or it's not worth it. So if I'm going to go through, and that has universally been my experience on working on movies here in town that were not something I produced. And even one or two that I produced ended up being shit shows because of other people involved. Again, go back to the other episodes if you want to hear about all that. But long story short, I could give a shit about the local film community, quote unquote. Um, and it's and beyond my apathy or or just full on ire towards it, it's really not done that much to affect the bottom line. So if I'm going to have to deal with people like that or deal with barely making thing ends meet anyway, why not just get uh, why not just work a part-time job and make the same amount of money, honestly? Um, and of course, that means that you have to find things that are flexible and make sense in a lot of different ways. But I actually, I, I have, fortunately, through a series of crazy events, <laughs> I might add. Um, and I'll talk about those. But, uh, you know, uh, let me sort of step back. Like another reason that um, I wanted to sort of put this episode out there and and discuss the realness um, is because I can't tell you how many, I mean, every day almost, especially when I've just, if I've just left to go work on something or if I've just returned from working on something and people kind of see either the traveling part or they see that I'm somewhere else or what have you, um, I always get asked, asked the same questions. Do you live in Los Angeles now? When did you guys move? Are Melanie and Reagan out there with you? How are you making it work? Wow, wow if they're not with you, long distance must suck. Where do you stay at when you're there? All those questions, you know. And, and I was actually going to call this episode in the beginning my the way my dad phrases it. And my dad is an old school black guy that grew up on a farm. And I mean, every time we talk about what I'm doing, he always says the same thing. And he's like, "Where you at? 
where you stay, what you do. So I was going to call it what you do, where you stay, because that's what my dad always asked me. But um, I, I went with something a little less, <laughs> I guess, inflammatory. Uh, although I guess I'm half okay to say that stuff. But anyway, it and you know, he's... the. Anybody that knows my relationship with my parents knows that they're not they're not fully informed as to what are what's going on. But I mean a lot of the people asking me these questions, I would think kinda of would know. And it's not I mean, I, I guess I don't realize how much people outside of the inner circle, the inner circle which you've all heard here on the podcast, um, you know, it's Chris, Brittany, Melanie, Domingo, Lisa and Debbie probably is the only person you haven't heard on here yet, but that's coming. Trust me. Uh, by the way, congratulations, Debbie, on your premiere and your signing. I'm super proud for you, and I wish I could find a way to be there with you and experience it. But uh, you know, I'm there in spirit. Anyway, side note: I just didn't want to forget to say that, um, and I'll I'll make sure to remember to pimp out our movie at the end. But anyway, I I, I you know lose track of how how much people don't see, I guess. And so this is me pulling, you know, like I get, like I said, trying to fully pull back the curtain on that. So, okay, let me go. I guess I'll go back to the big question. Where do I live now? Well, I mean, my main residence is still in Houston, still in the Heights as it has been for several years. That's where Melanie and Reagan live. Um, however, I mean, I think I added up, oof, I sat there at lunch and tried to add up all the time. I was in Los Angeles last year working on stuff. And I think it worked out to be about 30% of the year. I was actually abroad or not, not abroad, but somewhere else working on something somewhere like not in Houston, not even in Texas. If we were, um, you know, and there are times I was working on stuff in Texas, but it was like not, I couldn't drive home every night. You know what I mean? It was far enough away to where it was an issue. Um, so a great deal of that time I spent elsewhere on the road. This year, let's see, this is July, almost August. I've spent about 40% of my time you know, elsewhere, most of it in Los Angeles. I actually, um, I guess the main thing that, that uh, <laughs> the main thing that happened where I was like, oh, wow, you know, I guess I kind of am in California a lot, um, was that I had to file a California state tax return this year, which was the first time I've had to do that. And I mean, non-residents have to do that if they work in California. That's really not that big of a deal, but you only have to do it at a certain level if you make money over a certain amount. And you can go look that up. You can see how much it is. But I had to do it. So I was like, wow, I guess I was there a lot, you know. Uh, and I did make a considerable amount of money there. Um, I think last year, if I remember correctly, fully, and I, I got, I had one, well, I say one of the part-time jobs, but it's really two, but it's the same thing. And, and I'll explain all this in a minute. But there was one of those going on to, towards sort of the end of the year. Um, but um, fully, I guess, probably 80% of my income was movies last year. And it was a fair amount. I mean, actually, when I sat there and added everything up, it's funny, Melanie and I, we were joking because we were trying, you know, we have a kid and we're trying to figure out whether or not to do preschool at the time. 
and you have to unless preschool costs money unless you're under a certain you know line poverty line and we're like well you know things do seem kind of tight sometimes um i wonder what the poverty line is and when we went and looked to see what it was i'm like nah, i guess we're doing okay you know like all things considered because i actually made more money even though it didn't seem like it because of the way it sort of arrives and comes in and you know there's dry there's feast or famine kind of stuff going on um i made more money last year than i had the last year that i was working a full-time job with a side job so you know i guess it all works out um so that's kind of that's sort of like what the broad broad picture looks like um but and that's another reason why you know I, we don't live in la or i don't i guess live there i mean i for a while i had a steady place that i was staying with a friend um and it you know, I had a residence there and I could go. It enabled me to stay there for long periods of time. Um, and that situation still exists. Uh, they just have a couple other people that are staying with them. So the house is a little tight. You know, I, I don't want to put them out. They're already putting themselves out enough for me. So I don't want to put them out too much. So that complicates things a little bit. But usually I can kind of either I'll work in lodging into my day rate and do like Airbnb or a hotel or something or maybe stay with somebody like i lucked out this last time you know our director had a guest house that was super nice and he didn't mind me crashing in his house and it all worked out but and i i mean there are times where after a production i do i probably am leaving with enough to maybe get a place there uh and have it for an and maybe even a car because that's been an issue too but it's you never know what the next thing is going to be even though i mean just right now there's a movie that may kick off that's produ i mean all the producers and all the core team is out of california and there but they're probably going to end up shooting in either texas louisiana or north carolina so even if i were to get a place i would probably have to sublet it to somebody you know for a lot of that time and sublet it to somebody who's probably doing the same thing i'm doing so I'd probably have to find three or four other people to room share with. And that's it. I mean, by that point, it's almost easier just to just sort of fly out and fly back or drive out and drive back. So that's another reason why we haven't fully made the move out there because it doesn't really make financial sense. It's expensive to live out there. Melanie would have to get a full-time job. Uh, Reagan would not be close to her grandparents who she loves very much. Uh, we'd have to uproot her whole situation right now. And I just, I mean, it's easier for me to sort of like be the Ronin and, and, and wander the earth and figure it out. And I say easy. I mean, it's got quotes around it because it's not that easy. I really do, you know, hate being away from my kid, especially if I'm on a movie that kind of sucks. You know, that makes it worse. Uh, hate being away from my kid. Hate being away from my wife. Hate being away from just like the comforts of home, sleeping in my own bed, being able to work on my own computer, like having my being able to go in the room and pick up the guitar and just play it you know just having my stuff here um but that's kind of the situation we've been working with and uh so it's like i live here but i quasi live there <laughs> you know whenever a movie i'm i'm working on is is out there because uh you know and i i think like i said what really sort of hammered that nail home was that tax return i'm like well i kind of do have a foot firmly planted here uh, and I just did did my first trip to a car mechanic out there, which I think is a big like 
adulty, you live in a place kind of thing to do. <laughs> so the deal is slowly getting more and more sealed. It's just that we don't have, um, we just don't have the liquid funds to really make that jump for real. And even if we did, it wouldn't be the smartest move. Like, what am I working on next? Are they coming out? Uh, why have two places when, you know what I mean? So it's kind of, it's just, it's, there's a lot of questions involved in it. And, you know, we also, I, one thing I hear a lot, one thing Chris hears a lot is, why don't you just move out here? It might make things easier, but it doesn't really, because what I've, from what I've seen, again, people are chasing work all over the place, inside and outside of the country. And I have, I mean, I spent a, like I just said, a big chunk of last year in Los Angeles and a big chunk of this year so far with at least two more chunks coming, I think. Uh, and while I'm there, all I do is try, I mean, as I'm working on the stuff, I'm fully into that. But when I get home and get whatever I'm done, done, or what I'm working on done or have those days off, I try to set up the next thing so I know what's going on and where I'm headed. And, uh, you know, just financially, I can kind of know where everything's going to fall. And the res the response I got was equal to that of the response I get if I'm just here looking for jobs there. You know what I mean? It The location didn't make a difference. The jobs that I am getting are word of mouth from people based on the fact that I've worked with them on sets already. So me just being around and hanging with film guys and, and doing that, like none of that has really manifested. What's manifested is me working with someone that goes, oh, he did a good job on the set and we see each other day in and day out in a working environment and then they bring me on to the next thing. So I'm already kind of doing the work that's paid, you know, that's kind of paid off the most. Um, so I don't know what more moving there would do because I actually, as far as real gigs that I may, that I have or could have gotten, I never got to a point where location was an issue like if i if someone either recommended me for a gig or i submitted to a gig on some job board and they found out that i wasn't local at the time we either had a skype meeting or a phone meeting or i met them the next time i was in town which always because i was going back and forth constantly was not that far away and half of the time it worked out and half of the time it didn't. And if it didn't, it's either because the pr project didn't get greenlit or they found somebody that they liked better for the gig. So it's the same shit. You know what I mean? Like they, they never were. And I, I know they never were bothered by the location because a couple of them, after they hired the first person came to me and offered to get me out there. Uh, but it's like, I'd already taken the next thing, you know, so I couldn't jump on their film, but I know that they wanted me bad enough to like go to, I mean, at least I was their second choice. Uh, so that, that's kind of what I'm seeing. And again, this is just my experience, not necessarily the gospel, but this is why I'm in the situation I'm in. So that's what I'm, that's what I want to share with everybody again, you know, being real about it. Um, and apologize, and I apologize if I'm getting rambly or, or whatever, going off tangents. It's like that's the kind of stuff you deal with when you don't have other people with you. Uh, but I'm doing the best I can. I have notes. You can hear the paper right there that I keep referring to so I can stay on track. So uh, let's talk about um, before, I guess, before I get into the actual dollars, let's, or 
actual theoretical dollars, let me say. Let's talk about um, the other gigs that I do here. Um, a while back, oof, this was after I got. This is when I had my <laughs> when I had my troubles with the pizza delivery stuff, and finally had just had enough. And by this point, I was managing a restaurant, and that's what managing the pizza restaurant, and I'd had enough. It was just not worth it. And I mean, I was making. Well, I'll, I'll talk when I talk about the money. I'll get to that point. But anyway, it just wasn't working on any fronts, and it was brutal. Like if I had to put being on a shitty movie away in another state away from my family up against working at the pizza restaurant where I still would come home every night and see them uh, for the same amount of money I would still choose working on the shitty movie obviously because I have a passion for what I'm doing but there were times where I didn't even though I was coming home every night every night I had to get up before they got up the next morning and go open the place I never saw them so it was still brutal anyway um, what I'm saying is after I, I basically had had my fill, so much of my fill of working at the restaurant that I quit. It was one of those situations where you, where you quit not knowing what you're going to do, but you have to do it for your own sanity <laughs> or peace of mind. You know, it's just, you can only take so much. So, uh, fortunately I'd, because of the movie I did right before that, uh, and a couple of other things I was doing on the side, uh, movie-wise, like line producer stuff, which I'll talk about later. Um, I had a little bit of a cushion to, to carry me through a couple weeks, but I was kind of searching for that, what am I going to do in the meantime that hopefully isn't waiting tables or something um, to, to sort of fill the hole. And a friend of mine had been uh, doing standardized patient work at a couple of the schools here in Houston and she uh, she suggested that I check it out and she's like yeah you know a lot of community theater actors go there and a lot of teachers that have people that have the summer off and things like that and it definitely was is more something that's geared to like an actor mentality or a presenter mentality which I didn't think at the time I didn't really vibe to the fact that I had that in me. I guess I should have thought about all the times I've had to do that, like teaching camps or whatever, but it, it just, I was, I was like, well, maybe not for me, but I'll check it out. And for those of you that don't know, um, standardized patients work with medical schools. And what you do is you go in, uh, you work with medical students specifically, like they'll give you a case to play and you go in and they'll send students in, and they have to act like you all act like it's a real encounter. Maybe you go in complaining of stomach pain, or maybe you're trying to get drugs, or you know what I mean. But it helps the students work on their skills inside the examination room. And sometimes they'll be doing you know minor tests on you, like checking your reflexes, checking your pulse, making sure you, they uh, know how to do blood pressure, check your eyes. Um, certain uh, neurologic neurological tests and then sometimes it's all about their bedside manner like you're teaching them communication skills verbal skills paraverbal skills nonverbal skills uh, things like that so I was I really was pretty interested and I was like let me check this out and it ended up being awesome like I still do it now when I'm home and the thing is it's super flexible like the studies it, it, it's not there are times where you can work every day, 
but it's it, like there's an exam going on, but it's very rare. And uh, usually it's like a study will be like one day a month or maybe two days a month or like every six weeks or whatever. I say study, I mean like sessions, you know, where they where they do these exig- the exams for the medical students. And it's, I mean, everybody there has something else going on or they're retired or, you know, they're just filling gaps in their schedule. And most importantly... <laughs> It pays really well. Uh, I don't really want to say, you know, on here how much it pays, but it paid me, paid me literally exponentially more than the pizza place, like multiplied by factors of more. You know what I mean? And it's it's such. I don't want to say it's easy because it definitely is work in a very but it's work in a very different way and it's work that I think is very germane to what I do so I took to it pretty quickly and I never thought I was like the actor type I mean I know I've cameoed in my movies and stuff but um it, it, that was all minimal you know it's like Hitchcocky stuff where you just in the background or I had a couple lines with Debbie in walking distance but which stressed me the hell out so I never thought I had that in me but I, I kind of did sort of take to it quickly and I had a and I had a very I had a few very good teachers in the beginning that kind of got me on the right track. And now I do it quite a bit. And, you know, like I said, when it's, when it's on, it's on, it's, it's not very difficult and you can make a lot of money doing it. Um, not very difficult if you're right, if you're the right type of person, I should say. Uh, and everybody I work with is great. And the, uh, another plus to doing things like that is that, multiple colleges do it. So I'm actually a standardized patient at two different places right now. And it does take some real focusing on your schedule to figure everything out, but you can kind of like stack the gigs to where you could work at one place one day and one place the next day or do a study or do a session at one place in the morning and a session at one place in the afternoon and kind of really put together a good living doing things like that. And they all pay about the same. So um it's pretty awesome. So if you're if you're listening to this and you're in a situation similar to what I I'm in or what, you know, a lot of artists are in, look into uh, standardized patient work at uh, local medical colleges or college, medical colleges near you uh, because I, as I understand it and from what I've seen, you know, they're always looking for good people, um, especially if you're a certain demographic. Like if, if you represent a demographic that they don't have a lot of people to represent because they have to they have to fill the cases based on certain criteria. And it may be, oh, we need, you know, white males uh, with no tattoos over sixty years old. Or it may be um, you know, young female, eighteen to thirty five, any race. Or, you know, it it could be it could be any of that. So uh, when I actually started, they were pretty hungry to get me on quickly because there aren't many people my age, which I'm about to be 40. I've been doing this since I was, I guess, I was 37, 38 when I started, 38. Um, there weren't many people my age, uh, my age, my sort of size and weight, <laughs> and my race or races or ability to play multiple races that were available uh, during the week 
Because a lot of times, you know, most of the time, when you do this, it's always sort of work hours. So it's sometime between 7 a.m. and like 7 p.m. during the day. Very rarely does it start earlier or later than that. And it's always during the week. So you have to be available during those times or have a certain amount of flexibility, which, of course, I do because, um, you know, the movies, it's like I'll go travel for like three or four weeks and be away and then come back for a couple weeks. So I just have to work all those schedules together and make sure that they all... Make sure that I don't overbook myself. And then within the standardized patient thing specifically, I have to make sure that I don't overbook myself with the the two schools that I'm at. And uh, that has actually spun out into other things like um, they will occasionally uh, an outside sort of focus group or, or, or uh, company, marketing company will come in and need standardized patients to come in and play, play a case for them at another location uh, to train people on pretty much any of the stuff I mentioned or if they're doing some sort of study for a uh, pharmaceutical company or something like that. I mean, you, you can get other similar gigs that also pay pay more, you know, slightly more. So it's a really good deal. So, um, again, standardized patient, great side gig. And so I guess just to mention the downsides, there aren't many. I guess the main thing is the only time that you're working is when the students have an exam, which for, I guess, uh, uh, maybe 60% of the year is pretty regular, but there are definite dark times. Uh, and I'm not, I don't mean like Tim Burton dark. Uh, I mean, like, like, like think of like theater dark, like where there's never, there's never a show during this time. Um, just because the, just the way the school, because it's all based around the school year and what the, the study schedule is. So there are times where there'd be a month or maybe two where I wouldn't be called to uh, be an SP. And that also may be because there may be something going on, but it may not be something that I was suitable for. Like it was, you know, a woman only study or I, it, it had to be a certain race, had to be, you know, had to be a certain race or look or age. Or I, you couldn't be overweight, which I am a little bit overweight. You know, anything like that could come up. So I have, you know, you do have to kind of work around that. It's not like you can, you can't really depend on a check every two weeks for the entirety of the year from a gig like this. However, when you are getting the checks, they're pretty awesome. So that's sort of the downside. But the downsides again are kind of the upsides too, because it's the flexibility, the flexibility and the the lack of routine enable you to fit in those other things like movies that uh, come in fits and bursts. So that's uh, that's one thing that I do and I love it. Like as soon as I as soon as I came back from sequence break, I, I had a fair amount of money still because I'm to the point now fortunately where I'm making I'm doing pretty well on the movies. But uh, I, I also just don't like I don't like sitting around doing nothing unless I really have something to sit around doing nothing unless I really have something to do. That doesn't make sense. But I mean, sitting around at home or, or you know, I'm not a sit around and watch TV guy. Like if, if I'm going to be home alone, like while Melanie's at work and Reagan's at school, it's only going to be because I'm editing something or I'm working on a script or something like that, recording a podcast like I'm doing now. I don't like really being idle. I do allow myself some of that time so I don't go crazy, but it's usually like later at night I'll be, you know, reading comics or something or reading Stephen King or playing music. 
but during the day, it I take maybe one or two days to decompress, and then it starts to get to me. So it's perfect because then I can I can just immediately sort of jump back on the horse and or i will have already scheduled knowing what the movie is going to shoot i will have already scheduled sp sessions you know to sort of pick up right after i get back um and for the most part i can do that um so that's uh like i said that that's been a big one that was a big help and i'm super thankful to everybody at both colleges that i were i'm not gonna i'm not gonna put them on blast but um you could probably figure if you go check SP gigs, you could probably figure out pretty quickly who the big uh, who the big local colleges are that do it. Um, but I'm very happy, ha- very happy and thankful to both groups of folks, and they also work together too. So it's like if they if one college is doing a study that needs a certain type of people in the morning, the other college. If they are doing a similar study, they'll try to schedule in the afternoon. So that same group of people can work, can just basically go across the street and work on that same study. Um, anyway, uh, I think I've, I think that's pretty much the only downsides I can think of is just the the sporadic nature sometimes as you're looking at the calendar year uh, and the lack of being able to depend on it as a constant sort of source of income. Also, they usually provide you snacks, which uh, again put that in the plus category. And if you're there all day, they buy you lunch. So, uh, again, pretty cool gig. Uh, look into it if you haven't already. Um, so that's one thing that I that I do off and on. Um, and the, the way I sort of got into the second thing that I've been doing lately is was during one of those uh, dark times where I think it was after um, hmm, it was after Wicked Tricks. And during that time of the year, which is winter, we, I'd said just come back from LA, had tried to get a bunch of stuff, line a bunch of stuff up while I was there, didn't work out, as I had mentioned, um, was trying to figure out what the next step was going to be. And of course, this is like, you know, Christmas is there, my birthday, Melanie's birthday. It's just a big, there's just money going out constantly, you know, um, especially now that we have a daughter. So I'm kind of, I was stressing about trying to find something else because the SP stuff kind of slows down for a bit until maybe around like mid spring semester it seemed like at least it did for me and maybe it was just because the studies I wasn't I wasn't up for but it does sort of die down around that time and so I I because I wasn't really scoring any movie gigs or at least the ones I was I was lining up were going to be happening later in the year um I was trying to figure out what to do, and I, you know, I got to the point where I was like, "Man, let me just check Craigslist and see what see what I find." Um, and then I came across, and this is this is in and around doing some of the other sort of really sporadic stuff that I do that I'll talk about in a minute, which is like budget workups for film, for films like line producer stuff, like uh, doing uh, pitch decks or pitch packets for people, all of which I do, but I do maybe maybe three or four of those a year, but you never know. Again, that's all word of mouth, and it's just stuff that sort of comes to me. But uh, again, not regular, not anything I can depend on. So I needed something sort of steady, and, and I'll touch on that other stuff in a minute because I think it is important, and it is you know filmy stuff you know before everybody gets like I said, people get it twisted and they hear me talking about these other jobs, they don't realize how sort of 
small a part of the picture, I guess, these other gigs are. I mean, they're, they're a sizable part, but the movie stuff still dominates my life and the bottom line. But anyway, let me get back to the other gig. Uh, so anyway, get on Craigslist, start looking for stuff. I see this listing that's very interesting, and it says, you know, hiring hiring game master for escape room uh, needs need to be good with the public uh, people skills attention to detail um, good public speaker and so I was like huh well I think I have some of those qualities um, let me give it a let me give it a whirl and see what because Honestly, what really drew me to it, and this is me like wearing my nerdiness on my sleeve 110%, it said Game Master, and I played D&D when I was a kid, so that sounds a lot like Dungeon Master to me, and so that really set my nerd senses a-tingling, and uh, I had to go check it out. And what it ended up being was uh, basically a Game Master for an escape room, which was Cypher, which now you're connecting it all. It's why I wanted to wait and have them you know, bring, bring us this episode because they have, in a very real way, been bringing you all the episodes uh, because that has been my other sort of part-time thing. Um, and then this is only as of, I think I started there in Feb- February, um, but quickly developed a knack for it. And, and I've, I think I'm... You know, the place has only been open since November, but um, I think I'm one of the the legacy game and one of the two legacy game masters there now. Um, and it's um, I'm, I'm trying to talk about it without giving stuff away because you guys should all check this out. But basically, the idea of an escape room, if you haven't, if if you didn't pay attention in the beginning and you haven't been to one. It's it's like uh, I think it really started like with inter- with uh, phone apps where it's sort of like a game that you play, but these are the real life version of them. So you go to a place, you pick whatever theme you want for the escape room, um, be it uh, captured by a serial killer or trying to steal something from somewhere or trying to get away from a zombie or you know any mis- I think some of them are like murder mystery ish, but they lock you in a room for an hour. Um, and you have to solve puzzles and figure out the clues to get out of the room. Um, and so basically what I do is I greet everybody when they come in. I, and then when the group is all ready, I'll sort of give them the briefing, tell them what the story is, uh, get them ready to go in, take them in the room, and then go to the back and watch them in the, watch them in the room for the next 60 minutes. And then if needed... Or, and it's always needed. I will prod them and offer clues, like they can contact you and and get clues from you. Or you can, if you if you see them getting stuck, or you see a couple of people not doing anything, you can sort of prod them to work on something or help the group along. Um, and that's basically yeah, a game master, a dungeon master. That's basically what you are. You're you're a live dungeon master. Uh, there's no rolling of multi sided die, unfortunately. Um, but that's what I do, and so I just sort of, you know, I'll go get the group in, start the start the timer, and watch them for thirty or watch them for sixty minutes. So that's basically what I do. I mean, it sounds like sort of like a version of babysitting, but it's kind of more than that. Um, you do, like I said, it's a very interactive. You do interact with the groups a lot. You guide their experience. 
uh, you keep you make sure the people are having fun um, without getting too frustrated but also you don't want to make it easy because uh, people tend to enjoy it more when they figure stuff out on their own and also there is an element of policing to it I mean you have to make sure that people don't people aren't cheating uh, using their phones to look stuff up um, destroying the stuff um, and or just I mean, if you're if you're working a later shift on a weekend, making sure drunk idiots aren't ruining the experience for everybody else. Um, so it's a lot. I mean, honestly, one of the things that I thought about immediately when I started working there was when I worked security at the haunted house several years ago. There are elements of it that are very similar. And the funny thing is, people always go in and ask, you know, someone's going to jump out at us. Are we going to get scared? Um, but the experience is not like that but there are things about I guess the people controlling aspect that are very similar so I've been doing that since February or March and it's actually a a really fun a really fun job um, there are times when it's stressful like if you get a group of you know a group of screaming teenagers or if it's just really busy on a weekend or you have people that aren't really into it for one way or another it's just like not a fun group like sometimes they're drugged there by their maybe by their company or whatever generally when that happens people tend to get won over and they get into it they get into the spirit of things but there are some t there are some groups that I've dealt with that we're just not having it which is kind of a bummer um, because it's you know you, it's very hard to win them over uh, but for the most part, everybody has fun. Everybody seems to like it, you know, like having me as their game master. So, um, it, you know, it, it works out really well. And again, the, jo the job itself is very, very flexible. Um, and they, you know, I went into the situation. They, they, when they hired me, they knew that I did the movie stuff. And I've recently had to take a lot of time off to do the movie stuff uh, and travel I'm about to go do that again in a couple of days, and they're totally cool with it as long as I give them enough notice. Uh, because they realize that again, anybody that's there probably has something else going on, you know. And this is sort of it's a part-time thing to sort of fill a gap. But you know, I do treat it seriously. I treat it as if it's a full-time job. And there are weeks that I've clocked almost full-time hours there. Um, but it, it definitely easily works into the schedule. Um, another aspect of what we do is, you know, after the group goes through and we debrief them and let them know what they what they missed, what their strengths and weaknesses were, um, then we go through and we have to reset the room before every group. That part can get pretty intense. Like if you have a group that's running late and then another group that shows up early, it, it gets a little crazy because you have to make sure that you reset everything perfectly for the next group and make sure everything's locked up and you you don't screw anything up so that you you know bone one of the puzzles but honestly again that that draws on stuff that I already do. I mean to me it's very similar to resetting after a take um, of a scene just like giving the giving the briefing is a lot like you know when I had have had to do acting stuff and then running the people through the game is a lot like directing or even assistant directing sometimes in a way uh, because you're actually working against you're working against the clock 
and sometimes people don't aren't moving with a sense of urgency or they're not uh, they're not they're not communicating with like an economy of speech, <laughs> you know, based on how much time they have left. So if they ask for a clue, it's, you know, sometimes it can be convoluted and sometimes you have to guide them into, here's a smart way to ask for this, or here's a smart way to communicate to that person what you need to do. So I think it does, it, it, in a weird way, it, it does use a lot of the skills that I've developed on the set, as well as hone skills for me to use later because the job is 95% communicating with people be it in character or not so um, it, it was a good it's a good fit for me and it's working out very well and I'm again appreciative for them giving me the opportunity and letting me have something to come back to if I have like a week or two where I'm down um, from movie stuff uh, it's it's a good sort of situation to walk back into and have guaranteed income so that I never get too worried um, and I appreciate them allowing me to talk about them on the podcast and uh, you know have them sort of again literally and figuratively bring it to you because uh, if I hadn't had if I hadn't found that situation I don't know what other crazy you know, pizza delivery like gig I might have fallen into just to sort of fill the gap. <clears throat> but yeah, this last couple weeks, those last you know few months actually has been kind of nice because there was sort of like standardized patient stuff, cipher stuff, a big chunk of movie stuff, come back, a small bit of cipher stuff and standardized patient stuff, and then going back to another big chunk of movie and music video stuff. And then coming back to, you know, the, the jobs here and so on and so forth. So it's actually been working out pretty well. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's the nuts and bolts. The, I guess the three biggest chunks of how I put together um, the nut, so to speak, <clears throat> every month. And it's all sort of, in, it's always in varying, you know, varying degrees of which, you know, depending on what I'm doing, like... The, this month and part of the last month, the the heavy the heavy lifting was movie money because that's what I was doing for two months before that. Um, this couple weeks maybe has been like the part time, like either you know cipher or the standardized patient stuff, and also I that's another thing I did is I I teach I teach, I teach video camps. That's a summer thing that usually happens, but uh, that's kind of helping out a lot. That's just, again. It's not something that I always can consistently depend on because it's seasonal. But usually, every summer and every winter, I'll teach like one teen video camp or a stop motion animation camp that they do over winter break, and that's those are usually done via the Aurora Picture Show. Although last year, I taught the teen video camp for Swamp in Houston, and um, it's the same sort of timeline. I think the kids at that camp are generally a little bit older. Um, but yeah, that was another sort of piece of the money puzzle that I put in that would I was able to put in there. Uh, and then other things I do, like I very, I mean, increasing regularity, but they're still sporadic. I often get requests to do preliminary budgets so that people can have a decent, well thought out budget to take to their investors to pitch. So that's sort of like where I draw on my both my line producing and assistant directing experience to 
I kind of actually build a rough schedule too to get an idea of how many days it's going to take for this person or this person, especially if we have specific roles that you're going to put like bigger actors in. You need to know how much that's going to cost you. So, you know, more specifically than if you just have a day player in there, for example. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I've been I've been doing a lot of that. Last year, I think I got, if I'm not mistaken, I think I got five different instances where I did those things and, and the work, depending on how extensive it is, it usually takes me about a week or so to get it together and like do it right. And what I try to do is give people sort of different scenarios, be it like three different budgetary scenarios or three different maybe like SAG contract scenarios or even three three or four different shooting location scenarios. So you're shooting a modified low in Los Angeles versus doing that in Texas versus doing that in New York, you know, places that have different sort of incentives. And I'll, I'll do a few different passes of that so they can kind of look at the overall picture. And that, you know, that work ranges from a few hundred dollars to a few thousand dollars, just depending on how extensive it is and how big the budget is and what the person can afford, honestly. I mean, I'm not in it to rake anybody over the coals, but it is a lot of work. And uh, it's a very special skill that I've honed, whether willingly or not, over the last few years. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I feel that, you know, I should get what I'm worth. But uh, those gigs actually came up a few times last year, all through word of mouth. Um, and in a few, in a couple of those instances, when and if the movie gets greenlit, or when the movie get green, got greenlit, because one of them actually came to pass, um, I continued on as either the line producer or the assistant director. So it, sometimes it even morphs into an ongoing thing, or at least all the way through the end of production. But um, those gigs are part of the puzzle. Um, there were uh, a couple of writing for hire gigs I did last year, uh, either treatment or there was a treatment, a scriptment, and then a script, all of which paid. None of it was crazy, you know. None of it was a crazy amount, but every little bit helps. So I do work like that, and again, that's something that's kind of happening more now that more people are starting to see or, or I guess remember that I'm a writer uh, and the words getting out I actually was asked by a couple of notable horror actors to help them with a the script a few weeks ago so that may turn into something but you know again those things come along but they come along sporadically uh, and then Sometimes I don't do the sometimes I don't do the entire budget breakdown, but I'll help with like a either a pitch a pitch deck or a rough shooting schedule. Uh, again, drawing on kind of my producery skills and also definitely my assistant director skills, and it's similar to the line producer work. You know, I, I'm just putting something together for the the people in question to take to their investors and show. Okay here's what we're looking at. It's just a little more informed look at what we're thinking about doing with the movie. So I get work like that um, occasionally. And I would say, I mean, as, so far this year, a few of those things have come along. But last year, I mean, if we're looking at the whole, the whole pie, I would say work like that probably, you know, accounted for maybe, you know, 10 to 15% of my income last year 
So again, not a not a huge piece, but a piece that definitely made a difference. Uh, obviously, the only downside is you never really know. <clears throat> you never really know when it's going to come, and and everything that I've actually gotten that way has been word of mouth. I have, I have tried to chase that work, but in all but maybe one or two instances, it's you know tons of people apply for that stuff. I think or, or send their stuff out there. So even if you find an ad that goes up on a production site relatively quickly. I'm sure they've already been inundated with things, so you're probably like number, you know, 57 in a pile or something like that. So, um, like I said, most of the most of the references I've gotten have been word of mouth, but I think that I, I prefer that kind of stuff because I kind of know who I'm getting in bed with. You know, I know I'm going to get paid. I know that in most cases, if it turns into something real, they'll remember me and maybe pull me along for that. And uh, I also know inside that someone that I, you know, someone has trusted me enough to put me out there for that same, for that job. You know, they trusted my judgment or my writing skill or like what I did, you know. So they, they vouched for me, and that means a lot to me. So I think that's, those are the basics as far as how Mel makes money and uh, what, I, what I do to supplement the movie stuff when and if I need to um, I do genuinely appreciate all the you know the people that have sort of asked along those lines and were curious about how how I do it because I think I'm less getting getting inquiries like that for people that want to get a little nugget of something to throw shade and more getting inquiries like that from people that are in a similar situation and just sort of it seems amorphous to them or like they're just clueless as to how to make it work and honestly I I'm I'm was in that position recently I'm still in that position there're still people where I'm like how especially when I go work out west and I see people that clearly don't have or what appears to me to not have a regular job but I'm like how the hell are you making this happen you know, and not living in a hovel with like five other people. So, you know, I, I'd like to, I'm, I, I want to offer my version of, you know, solution to people so they can kind of think about how to, how to piece that all together while we try to, while you try to work towards those things that might make it easier for you to lean more completely towards doing the art. Uh, which I'm, I'm I'm trying to do that too. Like uh, every time I get a, <clears throat> every time I, I you know every year I feel like I get more movie work. Sometimes it's frustrating. It doesn't seem like it's going to happen, but if I look back at it objectively, it's true. Like this this year I've already worked on more films than I worked on last year. Last year I definitely worked on more films than I worked on the year before. Uh, granted, they're all other people's films, but sometimes, I mean, that's the stuff that pay. If we're just talking about bottom line, paying the bills, that's the stuff that makes it happen. I mean, honestly, up until, well, even continually on some of the projects, like I've made no money on films that I've directed or written or produced for various reasons that we've already discussed in the other podcasts. Um, Placeholders is probably like the only exception of that. 
uh, starting to be the only exception to that. Um, but yeah, it's it's the it's the whether whether or not it fulfills me artistically working on other people's stuff as a hired gun, so to speak, is what makes the rubber hit the road, uh, or has been for the last few years. And uh, I'm still trying to synthesize all that, and then get to a point to where maybe I can make my own thing without throwing so much of myself into it or <clears throat> going broke doing it. And or who knows, maybe even getting paid to do it. I've come dangerously close on that in a few t- a few different ways. So uh, you know, that's that's kind of that's the end game. That's the goal to get to a point to where I do just movies. And and as I said in the beginning, I you know a lot, the largest chunk of it now is movies. So it's, it's the pendulum pendulum is slowly swinging that way. And I'm just fortunate in that the other things that I've found to do finally are things that I'm happy doing and are fulfilling for me in different ways, actually. And um, with great people, usually, I, I really have no complaints, so I've been very lucky. Um, and that helps because it's not soul-killing when it comes time to figure out what I'm doing with my life, so to speak. Uh, and, and get my head around the situation. So hopefully uh, this can this can help a few of you think about things in those terms as well. Lastly, before I go, one thing that I want to do is uh, I know I don't have Chris and Brittany here. However, it may be a minute before we get another episode on just because I'm getting ready to go shoot you know for a few weeks. And uh, like I said, while I'm out there, I'm going to be doing some interviews, but I don't know when I'm going to have time to get those things edited and up. Um, so it probably will be beginning of August, maybe. Uh, my, maybe even after that, because my, my daughter's birth, I come back and my daughter's birthday is immediately, you know, as, as soon as I get back. So um, in the meantime, what I would like you guys to do is I'm going to leave you with a... Um, a green litter bullshit that it's up to you, the listener, to figure out whether it is green litter bullshit. And Brittany or Chris, if you're listening, you can you can play along as well. Um, it's up to you to figure it out. And I want you guys to email me and let me know what you think. And if if by some chance you even stumble you even you stumble ac- across a movie that you think it might be. If you, of course, think it's greenlit, then send that to me too. Regardless of its status as being greenlit or bullshit, um, I'm going to probably draw a name or a couple of names from the responses and uh, hook you guys up with some upstart stuff I found in storage recently. I've still got a lot of swag, and I'd rather have it in your house than mine. So um, send me an email with your answer to the following greenlit or bullshit and uh, I'll draw names between now and the next podcast and get you some stuff. Okay, so everybody ready? Here we go. Now, is this going to be greenlit or bullshit? Here is the synopsis. An experimental gun powered by an atomic reactor is misplaced when the transport carrying it crashes into a river. 
the weapon soon falls into the hands of a bullied teen who uses it to get even with his persecutors, of course. However, it's a race against the clock because an army team is sent to recover the weapon before its unstable reactor overloads and causes a meltdown, of course. So, listeners, is this greenlit or bullshit? Send me an email at upstartfilm at gmail.com with the, with the subject greenlit or bullshit. And then in the body, let me know what you think. Or you can even uh, send me a tweet uh, at upstartfilm, U-P-S-T-A-R-T-F-I-L-M. Just let me know what you think. Greenlit or bullshit. And I will announce the winners of the drawing and the answer to the question on the next podcast. That's it for this episode of Barely Living the Dream. My name is Mel House, and I thank you for listening. Thanks to Cypher Escape Rooms for being uh, our sponsor on this episode. As always, you can find me online at Upstart Film on Twitter. On it's actually hard to talk and play at the same time. I'm going to ride this this uh, D out for a minute. You can find me at Upstart Film on Twitter. You can find me at Melhouse on Facebook, and you can find all the movies on Facebook. Um, you can also find me at Upstart Film on Instagram. And as mentioned earlier, be sure you check out Debbie Rashawn's new movie, Model Hunger. I think it's streets in a few days. Um, and they Because they just had a signing event in New York last week and I've had the great fortune to see it and I think it's great I think Debbie did a really good job there's some really good performances and I think it's something a little bit um, it's it's similar to stuff you've seen in a way but very different it's got her own unique take on it so I highly recommend you check it out um, make sure you keep up with what we're doing at upstartfilmworks.net and we will see you next time 